This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. summer rolls in. You're welcome back to another episode of Business Impact and there's not too many more before we break for term here at the UCD Business School. It's been an extraordinary couple of months. A lot of people, understandably and well-deserved holidays are on their agenda. If they can battle their way through the assault course that is Dublin Airport um, they will have a nice sunny holiday awaiting them and I think for virtually everybody who's been through the last two and a half years, it is incredibly merited to whoever you are. There is that slight feeling, though, of foreboding as the winter waits for us behind that. I don't think there's ever been a time when people have been going away, or certainly not in recent decades, going away with such a, a kind of a, a grim backdrop internationally. I was just talking to a friend the other day and asking him, we were having a discussion, but has there been so many crises all at play at any one time before? Maybe, you know, back in the interwar period, the 1930s or something like that. But if you list them out, Ukraine, COVID, inflation, climate change... Brexit, the migration story, you've got this issue with Rwanda and migration in Britain, you've of course North Korea bubbling away, you name it, you've China and Taiwan, there's monkeypox, there's the market meltdown, there's the cryptocurrency turbulence, you name it, the list is absolutely endless, but surely that's good news for somebody out there, you would think the news business for example, one sense, yes it is, there's a treasure trove of news to pick over dissect and analyse, but recently uh, a survey from the University of Oxford and the Reuters Institute has suggested that many people are actually tuning out of the news, are practising what they call news avoidance, precisely because some of that list that I've uh, outlined uh, earlier. Equally, some news producers and publishers are actually struggling to get the news out. They're dealing with rising costs, staff shortages, and of course the endless disruption and competition from big tech. And my guest today is precisely the person to talk about some of these trends that I've listed in the news business. His name is Colm O'Reilly. He's chairman of News Brands Ireland. If you don't know that name, that is the representative body for all national newspapers, print and online. And he represents the industry across a whole range of issues, regulatory, legal, political, public affairs, and so on. And also looking particularly at the commercial development of the sector, which employs thousands of people, of course. His day job, however, is chief executive of the Business Post. And according to his Twitter account, his hobbies are Dublin GAA, the Red Sox Nation and Guinness, um, which he might talk to us a little bit later on. Uh, also to declare an interest a few years ago, I was the editor of the Business Post, so I've worked with Colm on a previous occasion, just so that that is out there and made very clear at the start of this podcast. So you're very welcome to Business Impact, Colm. Thanks and, and great for you to join us. I'm delighted to be here, Emmett. Good to talk to you again. It certainly is, and it comes at an interesting time. Sorry for getting us off on a slightly grim note with that list of uh, global trouble spots and so on, but I'm trying to make the point that there is so many overlapping and entangled crises taking place all around the world. The list I've come out with there are just ones that I suppose are more relevant to this part of the world, maybe not globally. There are other things like Yemen, etc., going on, Israel and Palestine. But the general picture is one of great conflict, great tension, economic difficulties. You sort of think uh, as a head of news brands, it must be a great time to be in news. Is that the way you see it or is it a little bit more complex? Look, it certainly is more complex. Um, but I think ultimately, if you go back to the core of what uh, news titles are about, um, we are there to tell people what they need to know. We're there to inform them. Um, we're there to entertain them, of course. And that's hugely important in what we do. But 
the ability to keep people informed of what's happening, hold power to account, hold truth to power. They're the essence of what newsrooms have been about since, since newspapers have, have been started and the, and the invention of the, of the printing press. And it's interesting in the in the in the, in that uh, that uh, analysis you gave of of uh, we are in a world of great strife. One would think that this is um, grist to the mill for newspapers and and newsrooms in terms of reporting um, and having great stories, which which sells newspapers or sells subscriptions. And there's certainly an element of that. But there's also an element as well where people find too much negative news does is off putting. And so it's a very complex dynamic. It's it's a it's a it's for editors. It's something that I, they have to weigh up carefully. I, I guess within the Business Post, we're a, we're a serious business and politics newspaper, and we're very niche in what we do, um, and uh, and it, and it can be difficult. But ultimately, uh, Emmett, the, the key to the future of news titles in and their ability to survive, adapt, and innovate is knowing their customers. And if you you know if you create a relationship with your readers in a really intimate way, it gives you the opportunity to understand their habits, this is particularly through digital subscriptions, understand their habits, their reading habits, and then it's about tailoring your product to that. So I think, like all things, there, there are clouds on the horizon, but there is always a silver lining. Now, it's important just to give some background on News Brands Ireland because there's, there's lots of different parts of the news business. There's obviously organizations like the NUJ, which represent the professional ranks of the journalists, your particular organization represents the the owners of the newspaper publishers, and it is a very big and still vibrant industry, despite the competition from alternative uh, technologies and so on. Can you give us an idea of just a little bit about news brands and what your priority list at the moment is? So news brands represents the national news titles. Uh, there are seven members in the organization covering about 16 titles, both in print and digital. And like I say, we're the national newspapers. Um, so, you know, the household names that you would expect, the Irish Times, the Business Post, the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent, uh, Sunday Times, Daily News, The Sun, The Star, etc. Right? So there's a long list of, of our news titles. I guess the industry over the last 15 years has, has really changed significantly. And probably the role of news brands has had to change with that. And that, what we've really seen happen, Emmett, is with the advent of the internet, particularly mobile phones, uh, mobile news apps, and how people consume their news, things have changed for the industry. And as a representative body, subsequently, we've had to, had to move with that. Um, probably for us, the single biggest challenge is not our relevance, right? The audience is there. Up to 82% of people in any given week will either access a newspaper in physical hard form or they will read some news online. So that's a really powerful number and it's a, and it's a great base to work from. So relevance and audience is not really a question here. The challenge for the organization and for, and for news titles and our members is really around the commercialization of our product. And, and traditionally, and, and you will know this well, having been an editor, that uh, newspapers have made the money and they've been able to survive on the basis of selling newspapers and selling advertising. And that has drastically changed with the advent of the internet and with people spending more and more time online. Um, the advertising industry has now really been dominated by three or four big global tech players. And that's a significant issue and a significant threat for news titles. So within news brands, really, we've got a kind of, we've, we are we are in regular dialogue with all of our key stakeholders, particularly the government and the policymakers. And within that context, we really focused on a number of issues. One would be the, uh, the reform of VAT, which we think is a, is a fairly punitive um, tax in relation to reading, because that's ultimately what we're about. Secondly, we, we're really focused on um, reform of defamation, which is a significant issue for us. And third, really, we're focused on a level playing field 
with um, our competitors and also with global tech. And they're kind of the big priorities for the organization um, because ultimately at the end of the day, Emmett, the role of news is to, and public service journalism is very much at the core of what we do. Um, we provide a service to, to our citizens of our country and we strengthen our democracy on the basis of the reporting that we do, be that the under 12s county final or be it court reporting. And they're the types of things that perhaps commercially orientated uh, organizations uh, who are in the tech space, they don't necessarily prioritize those. Now, in terms of the income flow, because as you say, that's the most important part to keep you alive. Without that, you, you can do virtually nothing. You've got that balance between advertising uh, and uh, subscription revenue across the industry. Can, can you give us any idea where that's at? Like the balance, obviously each media outlet is different. The Business Post will have a certain setup. The Irish Times will have a different configuration. But but. You know, the general tradition had been that print was was subsidizing online, and obviously that has now changed. Could you give us any kind of a 2022 update on where things are at in terms of industry trends? Where is the money coming from? Is it from cover price on print? Is it from advertising? Is it from online subscriptions? Or, or where, where is the sort of dynamic at? Yeah, so the dynamic is changing quite a lot. And, and as you say, look, individual titles and individual companies will have will have different uh, will have different models. The Business Post has a hard paywall. Other, other titles have leaky paywalls. Some titles are still free to air and are reliant on traffic and advertising. So very difficult to kind of give a, a one size fits all answer. But certainly what is happening is that um, print circulation has been in decline for the last 10 to 12 years and, and that continues. But what we are seeing is we're seeing a significant growth in digital subscriptions, okay? And that's very, very positive. Um, and really that is a change in consumer behavior. You know, people are busy, they don't have time. Um, while people are probably working from home more now post-COVID, um, certainly as people were traveling on buses and trains, et cetera, coming into the capital into Dublin, they were taking their news on their phones. So we are seeing that growth in the digital audience, and that's really positive. And as I said, 82% of the Irish public will access either a print newspaper or a digital subscription. Advertising has been very challenged, and that, is, again, has been one of the traditional uh, areas for the organ for the industry to focus on and it's been challenged because of like i say um the role that the big tech is playing and particularly in that context within search engine school and then within social media probably facebook but of course we're seeing the emergence of, of amazon and with changes in privacy at apple we're seeing them emerge as a as an advertiser as well so advertising is very challenged very volatile changes quite frequently and of course is subject to economic shocks as we saw through COVID, where advertising significantly decreased it has come back, um, but now we're looking at the potential of a recession. And we are also seeing those that are affected by supply, supply chain issues, uh, particularly with the war in Ukraine, we're seeing volatility in advertising. So the big piece for publishers to focus on, and I think this is where, you know, I have to say our members have been very innovative, is we're focusing on expanding our, um, our revenue models into new areas. So for the example, events, hugely important for, for virtually all publishers, particularly the business post, data, newsletters, podcasts, streaming. And these are all new um, products that we're all spending money on, investing in, and trying to develop because we see those as hugely important to the future. But the traditional dynamics of, of uh, print circulation advertising are under pressure, subscriptions are growing, but the, we're under, we're, we've got missions across all of our members to grow and create new um, revenue lines. And Colm, I, I don't want to get you to speak for individual publishers because you're, you're a representative body, the clue is in the word, but do you get any sense that in the next few years a print product might go, like that some publishers, maybe some of the larger ones, will just say, 
we're going fully online and we're getting rid of print. I mean, I presume that day is going to come eventually, but it's more of an issue of when it might come. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And views are very, uh, depending on who you talk to, Emmett, you get very different views. Uh, some views that you'll get is that, you know, the printed product will become a little bit like vinyl records, okay, that it will continue to decline and then it will hit a bottom and it will stay because you will have a, a certain level of audience who have grown up with print and just love it. Um, some publishers will say to you that, you know, print during the week will, will continue to struggle and maybe that's something that will, will give way at some stage. But at the weekend, when people have more time, um, the luxury of having a newspaper and sitting down with a print product at the weekend is something that lots of people still enjoy. So the, the opinions are varied. I, I guess um, the, probably the most important thing, that, and it's a key number we talk about, uh, every month, over 10 million newspapers are still sold on this island. So it's still a fairly significant number. And sometimes I guess we over focus on decline versus growth and trends. Um, so there's still a significant number of newspapers sold and it still plays a hugely important role in people's repertoire, uh, certainly at a national level. And when you go into the local communities and you're looking at you know rural, rural areas of Ireland and you've got rural newspapers, they play very, very important parts of the social fabric. So I, I think, you know, would I be surprised in the next 10 years if, if there's a decision by a publisher to stop printing? No, I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, when that's going to come and how it's going to happen is open to huge debate. Yeah, because you do hear anecdotally, you know, Irish Times certainly mentioned that that at, at, during weekdays, as you say, weekend is, is very strong. But during particular weekdays, sales are down to an absolute trickle. So on those particular days, publishers must lose money. Now, they obviously see it in a broader context, but you'd wonder would they be tempted to take out some of those lower performing days to, to, to bulk up on other days, maybe say to, to readers, look, we're not out on a, a Monday and Friday, but get us on a Saturday. But maybe equally they're, they're, they're worried about losing the habitual nature that if it's not there all six or seven days, readers might not come for the occasional day. So it is a tricky balancing act, isn't it? It is tricky. And, and I think, you know, how the industry evolves, um, I, I think there's going to be a, a priority on having more flexibility in how we produce news. Um, be that digitally or be it in print. And that flexibility is going to have to come between employers and employees. It's going to have to become between publishers and print suppliers and the providers of paper um, and logistics and transport providers. So within the greater industry, I think there's going to be an emphasis as you know revenue models continue to change. I think there's going to have to be an emphasis on flexibility. And within that flexibility, I think accommodation is going to have to come from all sides because I think it's, it's, a, it's a valid point that you make that if you know if you if you stop print on any particular day or if you didn't print at all, what does it mean for your advertising um, stakeholders? What does it mean for your readers? Um, because there is that possibility that you you will lose some of your audience. So it's a it's a really complex question. Now I'll come on to the whole area of defamation in a second. I know that's a big campaigning point for news brands. It has been for a number of years. But very briefly, newspapers, they don't exist in isolation. They're buffeted by the same economic shocks and, and disruptions like all other sectors. Are, are you struggling to get young reporters? Are you struggling to get staff? Is the cost of newsprint rising? You know, I'm just trying to get a, a sense of what are the input costs, effects happening to newspapers, not your particular company, but just across across the whole area. Well, I'll start with newsprint, uh, which is the supply of paper. Um, and um, as a result of the global inflation we're seeing and, and energy prices in particular, 
But of course, COVID had a huge impact on paper prices because people were getting so much stuff delivered to home, the packaging that it came in was generally paper or cardboard packaging. So we've seen um, a huge increase, 50% plus for publishers in the cost of paper over the last 12 months. And that's a significant challenge. And as a small island within this great uh, world that we have, uh, where we don't produce our own paper for newspapers, um, that is a huge challenge because it's all imported from Scandinavia, from North America, and from various places in Eastern Europe. So, so the cost of paper has been is a significant challenge right now. Energy costs, which is affecting pretty much every business across Ireland at the moment, uh, is another is another key issue for us. So the cost basis is increasing all the time, unfortunately. Staff challenges have become challenging as well. Um, and, and probably there's two things here. There's general wage inflation, which I think, again, affects many, many businesses at the moment. But probably more specific to our industry is being able to get journalists. And, uh, and of course, the core of the product is, is great journalists sitting down and writing great stories. And it is becoming harder to attract journalists into the industry. And, and this is not just an Irish phenomenon. It's, it's a global phenomenon. Journalism has become, um, it's become a, 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 a probably a, an industry and a vocation that has come under attack. Um, you know, we've seen various, particularly, I guess, within the United States and, and, and Donald Trump since 2016, we've seen, you know, the lashing out against um, news titles, respected news titles and journalism because it doesn't suit a narrative. And so journalism is a particularly, it's, you know, it's, it's probably in a hard place right now. And certainly we have lost journalists out of the industry into, you know, into their other careers like PR, for example, and that has happened. And so attracting young people in has been very difficult. So one of the things we're trying to do within, within News Browns is we've got a program called Press Pass, which we use in secondary schools as part of their TY program. And what we're trying to do is engender a love of journalism, a love of writing, um, a curiosity about the world, um, because this is the next generation that's going to be hugely important for us to to get them into the place where I grew up in newspapers, um, you know, so we have to we have to encourage we have to encourage them to really, um, you know, question what's happening in, in society, the role they have to play and, and hopefully pick a career in journalism. Yeah. And I suppose that one of the trends is is journalists becoming rivals of newspapers. You see the likes of the Substack newsletters being set up by individual journalists. So a lot of journalists seem to want to cash in their own individual brand value. That's a sort of a smaller threat, but nevertheless, an interesting trend as well. Yeah, it is. And and of course, it's a free market and, and people are fully entitled to do it. And and, you know, and it's it's a really interesting innovation because, of course, what innovation does is it means for everybody involved in that particularly industry sector, you have to respond and, and innovate yourself. And there is absolute room for for that type of model alongside news publishers. And so I, I see it as a, as a positive development. I think probably the advantage of news titles is that they give a platform and within that platform it gives it an audience and it allows you to to really you know reach probably a greater audience than perhaps you might be able to do as an individual but substack is is, a, is an interesting development and I, and I certainly found when, when i was um active in frontline journalism is, is that sort of um tension between what a journalist does on social media and what they do for the the, the company they're employed by you know, some people say, you know, a lot of the, the best journalism in the world has been given away to Twitter for free. You know, Twitter are getting paid for it, but not necessarily the, the producer of it. So is it difficult to try and get like journalists to concentrate on the channels you want them to be on rather than putting it on various social channels? Or do you see it as these both can coexist and one's promoting the other? What, what, what's your own take on that? 
Yeah, my own take, and I'll probably, I won't talk about that within the context of news brands. I'll talk about it within the context of the, of the business post because it's, I would know on a daily basis. Um, you know, I see that very much as a coexisting model. And, you know, part of, part of our role within the business post is to hire the best talent that we can. And because we're a specialist niche product that focuses on business and politics, current affairs, um, we see our, our job is to make sure that for our readers that we have the best journalists. And so we use social media, particularly the likes of Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. We use those as platforms to showcase those talents. And it becomes a symbiotic relationship, I think. Uh, lots of journalists will, will, you know, will promote their, their own content, and that's absolutely right. And we do it through our own channels as well. I, 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 think, it, I think it can coexist. I, I don't necessarily think it comes in competition. Um, and, uh, you know, we manage it. I think we've been, we've been very successful at how we manage that. Um, because ultimately what we're all trying to do is grow the audience. And, and I think it, it does work. It does work in, in a symbiotic way. Now, one of, one of your main bodies of work in this, this role as chairman of news brands or chairperson is the defamation area. Now, you're not the first um, person on this merry-go-round in the sense that <laughs> the newspaper industry, long before you arrived into it, has been trying to change and get needed reforms. I think most people would agree to defamation. We inherited a lot of this from our, our British uh, counterparts many decades ago. It, they do um, mirror each other in many respects. We are more restrictive. There are one or two places, I think France in particular, that might be stricter, but we're certainly right up there in terms of the restriction of the laws. The government tends to sort of bat away the publishers and say, look, we're looking at it. They set up a committee or a commission or something like that. That buys them another few years of protection. And of course, there's the whole issue of politicians are among the groups that would be protected by our defamation laws. So, you know, people do wonder just how much commitment they have to reform this area. So can you just bring our, our, our listeners up to speed on where things are with defamation, the particular things you're looking for, and of course, ultimately, do you think you're going to get anywhere? This is a big, uh, I guess, this is a, is a big campaign for, for news brands. The defamation legislation in this country, I fully agree with you, is probably one of the most restrictive anywhere on the planet. And the balance isn't right there, Emmett. And it's not right from the perspective of it becomes too difficult, or it can become difficult, particularly in telling, you know, controversial or difficult stories it can become very, very difficult for editors to make a decision to go because of the threat of, of defamation and the costs associated with defamation. And it is, you know, within this context in Ireland that uh, we have some of the tightest defamation laws on the planet. It's also extremely expensive to run a defamation case. And indeed, settlement is expensive as well. So within that context, you know, news brands between 2010 and 2015, we, we did a survey and our members spent about 30 million euros over that five year period. Uh, in having to defend defamation cases, which is a huge amount of money. Um, so for news brands, a reform of defamation to protect the, the, you know, the freedom of speech and to protect the press is hugely important. But the balance has to be there. And look, I don't think there's any news title or any publisher who would say if they get it wrong, then there needs to be, you know, there needs to be a penalty for that. And, and you know, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, we will get it wrong. And, and, and as a result, there, you know, the law needs to be there to protect individuals. But it is about balance. Um, so we've been campaigning for this for quite some time. 2009 was the last time there was a defamation law was put in place. It was supposed to be reviewed in 2016. Didn't happen. But Helen McEntee, uh, the current Minister for Justice, has brought through a defamation reform bill at the moment. And uh, and there's been some, I think, some positive developments in that. Um, certainly with the news brands, we believe that, you know, uh, we, we've been campaigning for the abolition of juries and for cases to be heard by judges. And certainly at the moment, the um, the bill that uh, 
the minister has published is suggesting that that's going to happen, which we think is a, is a positive step. The other two things, though, we, that we have been looking for, which which uh, we still have some way to go on, is a cap on damages and a serious harms test. Now, a cap on damages is massively important, back to the 30 million that it costs to defend cases in this country, which is excessive. Um, and what we found is in the cap of damages is that the awards that sometimes historically have been passed down are disproportionately large. And, and probably, and you'll know this one, Emmett, you know, there's the famous case of Monica Leach, uh, where a jury awarded Miss Leach 1.87 million in her case. Uh, on appeal, that would, that came down to 1.25 million. But it is a huge amount of money. And when you compare that to the book of quantum in relation to personal injury cases, you know, um, if somebody was to lose, if somebody had an unfortunate situation whereby they were to lose, um, you know, uh, both of their arms from below the elbow, you know, the, the amount of money that the, is capped at about just under 300,000 euros. So there's a completely disproportionate level of, of awards in these things. And what that does, Colin, would you agree that one of those things that it does is it, it, it almost insulates the incumbent media, the bigger media that can afford to take the risks and the smaller entrants and the, the sort of three or four person reporters, new outlets, etc. you know, as we said, top of the Substack newsletter type operations earlier, they're even more affected by the chilling effect because they certainly don't have the financial resource. So it does it does almost protect the larger media rather than the smaller, perversely. Well it, well, it does. But even for the larger media, you know, it's significant cost in trying to either A, run a case or, or B, defend a case. And, and of course, Emmett, and, and you are totally right, though, for smaller media, it just becomes prohibitive. And if it becomes prohibitive, then you're in a situation whereby an editor may just have the fear that they can't run a case, can't run a story because of the potential consequences, even if the story is right. And one of the things that we have seen is that, you know, there is an increasing, I guess, for, for publishers, there is an increasing situation whereby um, there is the, the lines between negative publicity and defamation is blurring. And as a result, you know, quite often what happens is in, for publishers is that uh, legal letters will arrive in. And even in the process of having to deal with that, even if you are correct in what you've written is the truth, uh, which is with the whole basis of defamation, even if you've done that, you still may end up in a situation where you have to, where the advice is to settle the case because it, it might be particularly complex. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the issues, I suppose, if you just reply to the first volley from the plaintiff, if you just get your solicitor to write back an initial reply, I mean, if you went out and bought that service in the in the, in the open market, you're talking about at least several hundred, but probably a few thousand to get the first letter off. So even just offending one before it reaches court is extremely expensive. Absolutely. And and look, this isn't just about publications, you know, within defamation, um, you know, if you talk to the, uh, the Irish Retailers Association, they will tell you that they've got situations whereby if they have stopped somebody for potential shoplifting and they get that wrong, then they're getting, they're having defamation cases so it's affecting retail. It's affecting all different types of, of areas, even for corporates. You know, before um, one of your staff was to send an email and potentially say something derogatory about somebody else, that could potentially defame them, and that is that that falls under defamation action. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as, as a as a podcast originator here, I mean, we have to be aware we are a publisher. You know, we are open to the defamation laws. So are people. People on Twitter, for example, seem to be completely oblivious that they are open to it as well. So it is very much broader than people think, isn't it? Yeah, and social media is, and you're absolutely right, social media, you know, what you put up on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, or any other social media platform is falls under the defamation law. And we have started to see a number of cases come through on that basis that somebody has put up a tweet 
they have been, and then they've been successfully sued on the basis of what they put up. So it, it is something that is affects a number. It's not just publications and, and news publishing. It affects a, a number of areas of society. And as I say, you know, we, we kind of feel that reform is well overdue because of the the kind of the restrictive nature and the fairly serious um, consequences of the of defamation cases in this country. And what kind of what kind of reception are you getting? You, you you've presumably had some meetings with the department or government uh, people generally. Mm-hmm. Are you getting any sense that there could be uh, this bill could go through the dole? You could have the changes in there and, and it could be passed. Yeah, I, I think I, I think we're confident that there is going to be change. Um, I think you know um, Minister McEntee has brought a bill. I think there's some I think there's some positive steps in that bill and. We are hopeful that that's going to happen. Like all things with with legislation, it takes time. Um, And so, you know, it would probably be 2023 or 2024, potentially before we see something in place. Um, But there's a number of issues as well, Emmett, which we we will, we are talking to the Department of Justice, we are talking to the Minister, but there there are some other things that we probably need to to arrive at to, to to be happy with things. And one of those is, is, you know, as I said, the cap and damages, the serious harm test, and we've just seen in the Supreme Court over the last number of months a case, uh, O'Higgins versus the Irish Aviation Authority, which which was not to do with publishing. It's actually to do with, it, with an internal email. And what we've seen established there in the Supreme Court is a sliding scale on damages, which has no reference to the legislation that, that the minister is bringing. So there's a number of areas that we still have to we still have to work in. But we are we are confident that we currently have a government who see this as an issue and that this is an issue that needs to be tackled. And I suppose that this is none of this is going to stop um, people going to other for uh, like the press council and so on, because we sometimes forget it isn't just legal route or nothing. There are other areas. And I know the press council are pretty busy as well at the moment. COVID seems to have brought on a rash of uh, applicants going into them as well. So there are there are other routes for people to go who are aggrieved with media in the modern age. Yeah, absolutely. The Press Council has been a really good innovation because of what it does is it provides um, an opportunity for somebody who potentially wouldn't have the means to take a legal action where they feel they may have been damaged in, in, or, or misrepresented in, in an article. And it gives them an outlet and a, and a platform for them to um, address that with the publisher. Um, and they are getting busy. That's true. Um, within the legal side, we see about 250 cases per annum on the defamation side. So, you know, we are in a society where, you know, people take their reputations very serious. And as a result, they, they, they are not afraid to take action. But there's a number of different methods for people to seek redress. And, and I think the press council has been, has been a, as a positive step. Yeah, and, and a lot of the, the very wealthy business people who have sued over the years, it tends to attract to the wealthier. They, they don't tend to like to go through those routes and tend to go immediately for, for the nuclear option of a defamation act. So it's always good to advertise that if they are agreed, they don't have to necessarily reach for that particular option. I think that's important. Colin, we're under a bit of pressure of time, but I think it was only fair to ask you a little bit about your own company and how things are proceeding there. Obviously, COVID was a very tough time with an economy in lockdown for large periods. How has the business post sort of navigated through that? It must have been a very, very fragile and difficult period. It was a very unusual period, um, Emmett, and I stood in front of the staff on the 12th of March 2020, and I, I kind of said, well, look, uh, we'll see you again. I'm not sure when. Um, and as, as you will well know, the publishing industry and newsrooms are, are, are probably, if you said to people who worked in those environments that you were going to be able to produce a news title from home, they would have looked at you with 10 heads, right? Um, because it's always been about the office environment. Um, but of course, we had to be able to do it and we had to be able to do it immediately with, with no dry run, no test run. 
Um, and we were able to do that um, successfully. And uh, and we're currently in, like many employers, we're in that situation now where we're trying to figure out what our what our working model is going to be like going forward. Um, COVID was was a, a commercially COVID was a was an interesting period. Um, naturally, with 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 everything closing down, uh, people had less uh, entertainment, and newspapers and news titles did particularly well, particularly digital subscriptions, but also in print, as people wanted quality journalism. They wanted to educate themselves about what COVID was really about and keep up to date on on news. Advertising, on the other hand, fell fell through the floor. Right, very very difficult, and and reports of between. A minus twenty percent and minus forty percent decline in advertising as as many as many um, companies closed up and didn't spend advertising money. The bounce back has happened thankfully. Um, a difficult period, I do have to say, for the government. I think acted in a really responsible and quick manner. I think the uh, particularly for the smaller publishers. I think like ourselves, you know, the the freezing of VAT bills, the support on the on the COVID wages through the TWSS scheme and the EWS scheme. I think that was really, really important and, and, and certainly was beneficial to us. Um, but as we've come out of COVID, what we've seen is we've seen, thankfully, advertising recovered. We do an awful lot of events in our business, uh, live journalism, and, and that's recovered very nicely. Um, and we sort of see the prior, prior trend in relation to the sale of newspapers and circulation. That decline has probably started to come back. But thankfully, we were able to navigate it. Uh, we've seen 2021 was the year of growth, and fingers crossed, as we get to the halfway point in 2022, we're hoping for another year of growth. But it has been around how we innovate the model and how we bring in new revenue streams, as I said, from podcasts, newsletters, data services, research, etc. And one of the challenges, certainly when I worked at the company, was trying to switch from print, at least partly, over to online, get journalists to file during the day, you know, become more of a 24-7 newsroom. Uh, that journey, you've obviously made further progress in recent years. Did you see that completing com- entirely over the next while? Or where, where are you on that journey? When we acquired the company at the quarter four 2018, that was the big journey that we wanted to go on, which was, you know, moving the focus from just being around being a Sunday print title to um, doing more content online and doing it during the week. And, and as you know, we changed the, the brand from the Sunday Business Post to the Business Post. And really, that was to focus on um, the title being a 24-7 uh, news outlet. So we've had some great success. We started publishing um, around an additional 30 35% of content during the week. And now we're actually in a position where we're publishing a lot of our content that's available on a Sunday. We're giving our subscribers the extra bonus that they're able to read that content earlier in the week. So that's worked out really well for us. But the journey is is always ongoing. Um, Emmett, as I'm sure you know, uh, the world never stands still and yesterday's plans are exactly that. They're yesterday's plans. And so we continue to evolve the model and continue to evolve the product. Um, and of course, we're, we're now looking at spending uh, more time and more money on things like podcasting and, uh, and, and really finding ways to bring journalism and the news content in a way that our consumers really want to consume that news. Well, listen, good luck to you. Good luck to the staff there. And also we'll be watching interestedly on to the developments of News Brands Ireland. As I said, defamation definitely on the political agenda and an election coming up over the next uh, two years away. So sometimes these things can crystallise. Change can come quick when there's an election in the offing. So we'll see how that affects the political dynamic as well. But for now, thank you very much for joining us on Business Impact. That's Colm O'Reilly, who is the chairman, chairperson of News Brands Ireland and also the chief executive of the Business Post. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks very much, Amish. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast, 
or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of David Corscadden, Ed Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver, and we hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact. Music